0: And so, uh, let's give Brian a hand, though, as he comes to minister the word and uh, lead us and encourage us. Good to have you. And Candace with us this morning. Candace, we honor you. We bless you. Thank you for being with us. You. Love you, Dwayne. Thank you. Yeah, Candace is uh, hot stuff. She's going to be sharing this afternoon. He's going to be... About 10. And then we take a break. Yeah. And then am I, am I the second? And you're oh, okay. All right, perfect. Yeah, we want to welcome everyone watching online. Give them a hand, would you? All the millions of people around the world. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming. And I just want you to know that the seats up front are the, are the you know, they're the best. So if you, at any time you want to come up closer, I like that. Get in the spit zone where the glory falls. Yeah, there's seats right up here. There's seat heaters. Yeah, it'll rev you up. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Uh, Could I ask how many of you, uh, this is the first time, like last night or today, it's the first time you've ever uh, been in any of our meetings or conferences or classes or whatever, quite a few. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. That helps me kind of gauge what I want to do this morning, and it's what I thought. Um, so probably I've not t- told you the, be- the beginning of the Passion Translation. I'd like to take a quick moment and tell you what happened is my wife and I, short story, we were missionaries 18 years um, uh, in training and in the jungle, we were in a very forgotten, abandoned part called the Darien Gap, right on the colombia panama border where the drug cartel had set up base. We were in a very dangerous place, and uh, God helped us. I was a linguist. I'd been trained not only theologically but linguistically to help decipher unwritten languages and, that, and to translate. So that's why we went to that village called Pucoro in the Payakuna dialect, of uh, South Central America. So during that season of time, God really opened me up to the Holy Spirit. I was a cessationist, hyper-dispensationalist, and I hope you don't even understand those words, but I ain't anymore. Uh, I, I believe that uh, the charismata, the Holy Spirit gifts are for today, and if I find one that I've never, yeah, if there's some I don't know about, I'll take those too. I'll take any you lay around and don't, I mean, any laying around you that don't activate in you, I'll take them, okay? So if you have any left over you want to get rid of, I'll take your gifts too. I love Holy Spirit. I fell in love with Holy Spirit as a Baptist. My training was uh, Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And uh, we didn't really understand Holy Spirit. We had a few teachings uh, that, you know, that he's not a it, he's a he, and, uh, you know, a little bit of stuff like that, but I didn't have a relationship with Holy Spirit until we got into the jungle, and I got emptied, I got de-selfed. God absolutely pulled the rug out from under me so many times and showed me how much I needed Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter how much training or how many books of the Bible I'd memorize, only thing that mattered was the Holy Spirit would pour into me and through me. Uh, after 18 years in missionary career, we went to another jungle called Connecticut. We went uh, near Yale University. We pastored a wonderful church. It grew and grew, and uh, even to, to this day, they've got a great leadership team. It's probably, it was maybe 2,500 when we were there, and they have maybe lost a 1,000, but it's still 1,500 people, and that's a really good church, uh, and they're doing a great job. But after pastoring 18 years there, the Lord made it clear that it was time to hand it over to a younger leadership team. And um, uh, we did. And it was just awesome to see God work in spite of us. And our son-in-law ended up taking the church. And he told me, Dad, you, we could write a book on how to make a transition because it really went well. We, we, I prayed into it, thought about it, how to transition an apostolic church into another leadership team, and, and the Lord really helped us do that. But I wondered, you know, I kind of fired myself. I kind of got myself out of a job. So it's like, what do I do, Lord? And uh, I expected my darling wife who dreams, matter of fact, she had eight dreams last night. Uh, she gets so many dreams from the Lord, and it's just such a amazing spiritual fountain that I married into. And uh, I thought, well, God will speak to her, but He didn't. But the one I love walked through my wall at 2 in the morning and breathed on me and said, I'm commissioning you to do this translation project. Uh, It will change the world after you're gone. And I don't always say this in public, but after you're gone, it will be the most read Bible. Uh, It will be a, he didn't say revival Bible. I I use that word. But it was so startling. I've had a few, very few, but a few encounters with Jesus Christ. And for some reason, that just, my critics hate that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you can find all kinds of stuff. You know, just put anybody's name and put false teacher. it will put Dwayne Wolfe false, false teacher next there or false prophet. And you'll get all this stuff. You know, you, Billy Graham, I mean, the, the haters are there, okay? But uh, it's like I'm out of the closet. Since I've already, they've already got all the nasty stuff out there, I, I will just say it then. Jesus came to me. And it's, like, it's okay if he comes to the Muslims and imams and he comes to unbelievers and people out in the jungle. But if he comes to a pastor or a lover of God that's given his life to Jesus, that's suddenly strange. And you're, you're trying to say you're better. I've never said I'm better than anybody else. But I know I'm better off than about anybody else. I'm so blessed. I'm just so blessed. And uh, it devastated me and it wrecked me for days but I knew that I was to do this translation, so I began immediately, and I translated Song of Songs, which we're going to get into today. It was the first book, and uh, it took, it's been now nine years, and we have the New Testament and the book of Isaiah finished, um, and I'm working now on Genesis chapter 32, where the midnight wrestling man comes out and, and uh, pins Jacob. It's interesting. It's Jacob and Jabbok. The river is named Jabbok, which means wrestling. That's what the river's name means. So, at the place of wrestling, God came and wrestled him uh, into the dirt. But that's how you get transformed, from heel grabber to prince. So, uh, Genesis will be out by next year. This time next year, you'll all have Genesis, God willing. And uh, I'll be on Jeremiah and Lamentations during that time. so, ah, ah. But I, I, um, I get tired. I get weary at times. Never felt like giving up. It's been amazing process. I have learned so much. I have learned what I don't know. And it's always a good thing to learn that you don't know something. Uh, It's better that you learn it quick than you end up being a know-it-all, some proud, arrogant guy that thinks you got the Bible figured out, you got the second coming figured out, you've read so-and-so's book, or you've been to a prophetic class, you got it all down. You know, no, quit. We're all learners. We're just little sheep. We're just little lambs following the one we love. And the more we love him, the more he'll teach us. And the more he teaches us, the more we love him back. And so it's just beautiful love affair is what our relationship with Jesus must be, right? So I've loved him for 47 years and without an intermission, I, I don't stop. I, I, want, I don't want to be like windshield wipers, intermittent. You know, Some days you're after him and other days you're like ice cubes. Like I make my ministers ice cubes. No, we're to be flames of fire, right? So I've asked God to help me to keep that fire burning in my soul, and he has. My wife has been such a blessing over our 47-plus years of marriage, and uh, you'll get to know her this afternoon as she shares on dreams. But I I want us to pray, and then I'm going to take you where you've never gone before. Is that okay? Before we pray, I'd like for you to say, this is because of my insecurity. I like to hear it. Say, I don't know at all. Are you sure? All right, say that one more time. So that you're ready to learn something, right? Okay. Spirit of revelation, fall upon us today. Bring light to our imagination. Spirit wind to our innermost being. Revelation truth where we have built up castles of lies. And we believed guilt-driven theologies that were not rooted in the heart of God. Trash our idols, Lord. We bring them to you, our opinions, our traditions, all of our thoughts about what the Bible really says that we might learn of you and take your yoke, take your discipling power upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it just came to me, the word yoke, you know, uh, the, the Hebraic concept of yoke is what a, a, a master rabbi uh, A disciple of a master rabbi, it said that you're in his yoke. So when Jesus said, take my yoke, he's saying, let me teach you, train you. You're not an animal. You're not an ox that's going to go out and labor for him. You're a lover that he's going to impart to you. He's going to train you and and raise you up. That's what the yoke of Christ is all about. Isn't that interesting? Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the Bible and the spirit of Revelation and I'm gonna work you into an understanding of the Song of Songs. But please be patient with me. Because to learn the language of God takes time and saturation. And on a weekend, we don't have a whole lot of time, nor is there a lot of saturation. But I'm gonna give you what I can. Is that okay? So I want you to can what you get. I'll give you what I can, and you can what you get. Now, um, The uh, language of God is not Hebrew. The language of God is not English or Greek. The language of God is picture. And everybody knows a picture is worth. So when you dream or God speaks, it's often in a picture. You get a glimpse. This is why people don't get into the prophetic because they think it's their imagination. And they don't realize God is actually speaking. When you pray and you suddenly a flash comes before you, revelation is fast, guys. Revelation is a river that rolls really fast, so you take a slice of it as it goes by you. That's what the spirit of revelation is. So this is why you, you train your spirit to catch the picture and to understand the picture of what he's giving to you. God delights in speaking to us. Dios habla hoy. God loves to speak today to his people, but he will do it in a language that you're not used to. This is why many people don't understand the Bible, they don't understand God, and they don't understand the message he's trying to give us. But when you get into the pictures, it is the most joyous adventure. It's so fun for my wife and I every morning to talk about our dreams. We did this morning in the hotel. She went over some of her dreams. I was a little bit distracted, but I did, I did hear them, honey. <laughs> I was answering about four texts that came in at the same time, and she was telling me, but I, I did hear. One ear heard it. So when Jesus taught, if the language of God is picture, how would, how would God then in His Son, how would the Son of God come and speak to His people? It's called parables. And we have shortchanged the parables. I want you to mark down Matthew 13, 34 and Mark 4.34. And those are parallel verses, Matthew 13, 34, Mark 4.34, that will tell you this. Jesus, this is crazy. Jesus never taught without using a parable. Never. He spoke in parables, which meant nobody understood him. He spoke purposely to keep truth away from people. The language of God will only be understood by the childlike, not childish, but childlike heart. And what is a childlike heart but learning, a learning. Why daddy? You know, why mommy? Where do babies come from? You know, it's like all these questions and and they're always learning. Children are like just they're absorbing what's around them. And so that's how we enter into the kingdom of God. Sadly, we have all our chairs in a row. We're used to linear teaching, Greek-Roman thought, and the Western mindset has been ingrained in a theological construct that is principles and doctrine-oriented. It's And it's given to analysis, to like... Let's logically follow this through, okay? God is sovereign, and then we'll, we have all these theologies. I mean, I've got, I've got reams and, and libraries on my laptop. I have to have a special laptop to travel with because of all the libraries and stuff that I've got jammed into my Logo Scholarship software package. But that's not God. That's not how God, I won't say that's not God, it's not how God communicates, the preferred teaching model is allegory, and what we have in the Western Church is a hyperliteralization. Come with me now, a hyperliteralization of the Bible. You say, wait, wait, wait! You're telling me the Bible's not li-? no? It's literal. It says what it means, it means what it says. Hallelujah! Take up the offering and give your ten percent. I mean, that's fine. But I have been given a lens. When Jesus breathed on me, he promised me a number of things. Uh, He promised I would be persecuted. He promised that he would help me. And this drives people crazy. But he promised he would give me secrets that have been withheld from the church. Well, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, right? Twenty-seven times the Greek word mysterion It is what it sounds like, Mysterion, 27 mysteries of the New Testament, and I doubt that few of you could give me more than three or four. But there's 27 of them in the New Testament. Because we're oriented not to mystery and not to what's over our head, but rather what we can analyze and what is logical to us, that the language of God is out there and we're not hearing it. It's like our our tuner is not. You know, we're, we're on cassette tape, dude, and he's like MP3 files, wireless. So we, we have to upgrade our understanding of God, how he speaks, and the language he speaks in. I like that. I, I may write that down. If you see me taking notes on me, you know it's really getting good. <laughs> I like what I just said. I don't know if you are supposed to, maybe that's vain to say that. I don't know. But I like that. That came out Okay. Amen, Dwayne. Thank you. Come on. <laughs> so clearly, the Bible is more than meets the eye. Uh, it was was it Rashi or one of the famous rabbis that, that Jewish sages that taught that seventy faces to the Torah. In other words, there's seventy angles interpretations to every verse. Uh, I've I've shrunk it down to four, and I'll teach you that in just a moment. But there are four levels at least to every scripture. Like you read this, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Da da da. Well, I see in the seven days of creation, seven stages into our Christ likeness, seven realms that He brings us through until we enter the Sabbath realm of being one with God, of complete rest in Christ alone. The Sabbath rest of Hebrews 3 and 4. I see in the, the stories of the Bible, I see powerful revelations. I'm going to get into Song of Songs, but I got to work you into it. And when you grow up, when I grow up and you grow up, we'll be able to actually look at Revelation as the greatest parable in the Bible. But we'll, we'll get you there. He will get you there. So the, this hyper-literalizing the Bible is what put Jesus on the cross. Listen, as I translated the Gospels, it was clear to me the one thing Jesus said, this maybe you know what it is, what's the one thing Jesus said that put him on the cross? Anybody want to dare? It was, a one, it was words he spoke that were misinterpreted that ended up putting him on the cross. It was brought up at his trial. It actually was hurled at him by the rabbis while he's dying on the cross. What was that? Nope. I'm hearing it over here, somebody. Yeah. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And they were convinced he was speaking about stones and a building made with rocks they venerated they, they adored and in a sense worshiped the temple and to speak against the temple was blasphemy and they assumed jesus was blasph- blaspheming because he you know he made light of the temple and what did they say it took us 46 years to build the temple and you're going to destroy it and build it up in 3 days that's what put him on the cross It was brought up at his trial in in three of the four Gospels, and it was hurled at him by the rabbis on Calvary as he's dying. You said, destroy the temple, and in three days you will build it up again. Now, we hopefully know what that temple is. What is the temple he's speaking of? Our body, his body. And the three days was resurrected. Do you see how he spoke metaphorically? He spoke allegorical. He spoke in a way they did not understand, which put him on the cross. Will you crucify the next one that comes and teaches in a way you don't understand? Begins to take away your antichrist and begins to tell you the song of songs is a divine romance. I mean, there's so many built-in mechanisms we have about what we've been taught that, that are so, if I could say this, folks, it's, it's not only a mistake, it's far from God's heart. And we, we are in a generation where the spirit of revelation is going to fall on us. Martin Luther got it partially right. Thank God for that reformation. But the dude had some anti-Semitic views. He had all kinds of issues. I mean, he got us out uh, all of us would be like, I would be wearing a robe right now, and we'd have, all have mass before the service is over, if you get my drift here. But thank God, the protestant, the protestant, the protestant movement broke loose from the shackles of indulgences and having to go through a priest to go to God, where we go through, we go through God to go to God. We come right to God, boom, we go right to Him. You don't go through church, a meeting, fasting, prayer. Uh, you know, uh, The Spirit of God is upon us. We can come into His presence boldly, confidently. Not once a year, trembling with blood. But every moment we can live unhindered in this divine presence. We can abide there. We are His priests. Thank God. We've been made kings and priests. So... Luther got the ball rolling, but 501 years later, we're still not where God wants to take us. Another great reformation is in the works, in the seven mountains that you'll hear about at lunchtime, and and all the different new expressions, prophetic, and all the, the wonderful gifts that are being released. But this coming reformation is not going to bring a truth. Every wave of the Spirit Think of a wave coming on the shore, and it always deposits a truth and then recedes for the next move of God to come, maybe 30, 40, 50, 100 years later. And we've just experienced the Father's love in Toronto. We've had you know, all kinds of waves of the Spirit that are coming. But what's coming is a tsunami. What's coming is so massive. And it's not to bring a truth. It's to bring the Spirit of Revelation. The Spirit of Revelation... Where believers suddenly wake up and they realize we have been in a a pseudo dark ages for the last five hundred years. I'll, I'll stretch you with it, but I'll just you're ready for a little bit. Here's a teaser. Okay, the same faith that justifies you. Okay, in Romans eight twenty nine it says those whom he uh, he the, he called those he called he justified. Let me ask you: Are you called? Are you justified? Why would you not say, those he justified, he also glorified? Are you glorified? I don't think you mean it. The next thing that's coming, Martin Luther brought justification by faith, but the next wave of God is bringing glorification by faith because Jesus is not coming back. Please get off the rapture rug just for a moment. Hang on. Hang on. Don't stone me. But Jesus is not coming back until the church is radiant. We bring him back. A radiant bride will bring him. So, you know, back to my, my thesis here. The spirit of revelation has got to replace the uh, man-centered doctrines of the church that are basically putting guilt back into the church, putting fear that he's been trying to cast out for a long time, putting it back in. It's kind of like, why would perfect love cast out fear? But God got a little upset with John at Patmos, so he had him write a book to make you fearful. You know, afraid are you who read this book. No, it says, blessed are you. Whatever's in there, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ, right? The word antichrist isn't there. I don't want to get an argument with you. But the antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. What do you expect to read if you have a book that's titled The Unveiling of Jesus Christ. What do you think you'll find inside of that? Okay, I'm trying to work you into this. I, I took a little leap there for some of you. but So the language of God it is the the beauty of picture. This is why the tapestry of the cosmos, the created order, and wow, are you beautiful up here in, in the Northwest, The the scenery, the nature, the... Oh, who would not love this region? But God made it. My daddy made that. And and God spreads out the heavens, the, the cosmos, the glory, the tapestry, texture of beauty on the canvas of creation. He paints who he really is. Picture. It's the revelation. And it's it's bigger and wider and more glorious than we could think. And so is his word. There's so much more here than what our hearts have fathomed. We want to make Proverbs 31 about a woman, and it's not. It's not a Mother's Day sermon. Proverbs 31 you don't have to get up and cook the guy breakfast, make him do it. Proverbs 31 is a parable. (laughs) Uh, We got mutiny here. (laughs) The men are. (laughs) Put that stone down, Pastor Dwayne. Proverbs 31 is a parable about the radiant bride of the last days. It says, uh, here's the way it should be translated. Not that her price is far above rubies, but the price paid for her is far above rubies. Red, blood red, rubies. See, it's a picture. The price paid for her. She works with her hands, fivefold ministry. She plants churches. She's a church planting evangelist among the nations. She buys land or literally a nation and intercedes and plants living vines there. She works with flax, which is where a priest's garment is made from. The linen flax. It's 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 the whole thing is this beautiful parable. When you unfold it of the last days, the wisest man in the world wrote that chapter, not about a Mother's Day sermon, but about a church that's gonna rise, male and female, to be a radiant, look-alike, beautiful bride. So as you begin to look at the scriptures with you know, your eye's dilated, if I could say it. You're, you're looking at a broader, wider, deeper context to everything. It, it, it just has changed my life. It's, this is why many of you like the footnotes. It's because I'm seeing things in there. I shared last night about the Leah church, you know, and the Rachel church. And there's two brides. And Book of Proverbs is about two women. The whole book of Proverbs hinges on two women. One is the adulterous woman that tries to get the young men to come into her bed. This is the religious system, trying to get the anointed ones to come and lie down and sleep with her. And her husband's gone. The bridegroom is not here. He's far away. And Egyptian linens. Egypt is always the world in compromise. Just come to my, our fragrant bed and get under our covering, our covers, our anointing. See, we'll give you credentials. It's the adulterous woman that has a foot in the world and a foot in trying to please God. But the Proverbs 31 woman, they're they're parables. You see how the two women of Proverbs are parables. Well, what about the book of Revelation? What about the whore the prostitute? The harlot, Babylon. What if Babylon is a system? What if it's a church system? What if it's operating in many of us that we need to get set free from? And the other woman is the uh, Revelation 12 woman that's going to give birth, a virgin birth, to another man-child. There's two virgin births in the Bible, Mary and the last day's church. Paul says, I labor to present a pure, untainted virgin bride to Christ. The apostolic ministry is to present a bridal company to Jesus that are pure, set apart, devoted only to Him and for Him. So the, the, the scriptures must have a deeper meaning. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, that's cannibalism. This is why many people turned away from Jesus because He taught something they had not ever heard before. Will you turn away? If truth comes in a package you're not used to, that doesn't quite fit your Bible school training, doesn't quite fit, you know, I've been saying for a long time, I want to be left behind. I want to be left behind. I'm going on record. I want to be left behind because Jesus taught in the days of Noah, two are in the field, one was swept away and the other was left behind. In the days of Noah... Who is taken and who is left behind? The evil were taken. There's no such thing as the righteous line of Seth. That, even that is, I found, Seth's line was just as foul. I mean, there's, anyway, I'm digressing. But two will be, you know, pounding grain, grinding grain. One will be taken, other will be left to populate the kingdom. I want to be left behind. Maybe I'll write a book, a whole series. Um, I may be the only one, but, bro, I want to be left behind because God's not finished with this world. He's setting up a kingdom. The increase of his kingdom will be no end. Even the make-believe millennium has to disappear with most of us. And we stop throwing every truth that we're not living and don't want to be challenged by into a millennial wastebasket and start understanding that we are the company that will bring Him back. That we will be a radiant bride. The glorification of the bride must take place. So, the four levels of truth, and I think I've taught this here. If I have, then it's repetition's okay. It's called PARDIS, P-R-D-S. If you ever take notes, this would be a good time. PARDIS is an acronym. It is actually the Hebrew word paradise. And the rabbis teach that the word of god is paradise to enter into the glory of the scriptures and there is a glory here that we must unlock that to enter into that is to enter into paradise and they take the word the letters p r d s if i had a whiteboard i could write it out for you but p is the hebrew word peshat and peshat means plain or simple it means to make a road to make a path peshat there's a plain and simple meaning of the text thank god that we can get it, right? Did Jesus uh, did God create the world in 7 days? Well, it says plain and simple, yes, he did. And I, it's so funny. I I teach stuff and people like are saying, "I don't believe the Bible's literal." I said, "Yes, I just think there's a whole lot more than that." But because we're western Christians, we cannot take more than one of these. We want to live on one of them, not realizing we need to live on all four of them. Maybe it's because I used to be a chess player, and I played uh, three-level chess boards. Uh, I, I had a friend, and we'd, we'd take a day, and we'd, we'd play chess, but on three boards at the same time, three levels. And Anyway, there's multiple level to the revelation of God, right? And the Western church has got to go past Peshat. Remez is the second R E M E Z. Remez Ramez is the Hebrew word hint, and every scripture, every passage, every story Jesus taught, everything there's a hint of something deeper. This is what intrigues us, is we know the Bible has more to say than what we're getting. This is why we do commentaries and pastors research and teach us, and we have footnotes and why we 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 don't want to read the word, we want to understand the word, right? It's what I've been saying for years. It's not that people want to read the Bible. We want to understand it. And if you read it and you're not understanding it, that's like religion. That's like doing something just to do it. We want to understand the Word of God and the God of the Word. So Ramez teaches us there's always a hint of something beyond what we've got. And then Drash D. E-R or apostrophe R, it's literally apostrophe D-E-R-A-S-H, okay, Drosh. This is where we get midrash or midrastic teaching. The midrash is exposition, and it means to search, to seek, to inquire, to dig. Uh, some even said that it means to compare. So, to go deeper in the Scriptures. Now, the Western church has mastered... Peshat and Ramez. And it occasionally, occasionally, less than you think, will get into the uh, drosh level. But there's still one more. And this is where Jesus taught. This is where the prophets taught. This is where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. And it's sod, S-O-D, sod. The Hebrew word secret. This is the Hebrew word Mystery. It is the the realm of the divine. In other words, you can do all your word studies and do all you want, but you're not going to get this unless God opens your heart to it. This is the divine realm where the Lord will take his lovers. And the church is about to be introduced in days to come to the sod. And it's one of my callings in life is to bring the church to that brink where we dive in over our head. You need to get in over your head. The intellect of man is too small for revelation light. The door to the door to truth is not the intellect. Uh, we pastored minutes from Yale University, the epicenter of intellectualism and pride of the universe. OK? And I made a determination I was not going to out Yale the Yaleys, that I had no way. But what I have, they do not have, and such as I have, give I unto you. And it's the secrets and mysteries of God. And the apostolic is to steward the mysteries. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Apostles are stewards of mysteries. They've been given the mysteries and are to steward them for God's glory and His kingdom. So this mystery realm is where Jesus lived. He operated in this, and He didn't even try to, like, fill in the blanks, dumb it down, get everybody, you know, don't let anybody leave if you don't understand it. He, he, I wouldn't say he care less, but he, he didn't, he refused to meet people anywhere except in the Sod realm. This is why he'd teach in the synagogues, and nobody had a clue what he taught. They loved it. Their hearts burned. They felt the anointing. Glory was spilling out like verbal drops of glory spilled from his lips. Every word he spoke was a portal into a realm they had never seen or entered into. It was like glory coming. When he opened his mouth, it became a portal into glory. And they loved it and were astonished. He didn't teach the way the rabbis taught. He totally broke every taboo. He refused to like take a vacation on, on Shabbat. He healed people seven days a week. Sometimes it almost implies he purposely healed them even more on the Sabbath. Like, okay, it's Saturday, Lord. Let's go find some sickies, you know? Let's go offend some people. But nobody, not even those who ate and slept and walked with him for years, they did not understand the realm Jesus taught in. So be careful. Western Christians, that we dare think we understand the most simple truths. I have a verse to show you we don't even know what salvation is yet because it's just about to be unveiled. First Peter 1.5 says there's a sozo on steroids that's about to be unveiled in the last days, the last final kairos, the Greek word kairos, in the last days. I've shared this with thousands of pastors. They look at me like they'd never read it. It's here. We have a veil over our hearts at time, And, yeah, do you have it up there? Through faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last kairos. So there is reserved an unveiling coming. The word revealed is the same word as the title of the last book of the Bible. What if there's an unveiling coming? The next thing God is about to do is unveil something so powerful. His name is Jesus. And when He is unveiled, so will we be unveiled. For we will see Him as He really is, not as He was. And we will have a sozo on steroids. Sozo is the Greek word salvation. So there's a salvation that's about to be dispersed, dispensed into the church. So I come back to my statement. We don't even know what salvation is yet. So be careful as we go forward. Those whom he justified, he he also glorified. You know what that means? That means you walk through walls, you will not die. You touch a hospital and everybody empties. I'm talking about glorification of the church is coming. Instead of an any-minute rapture, we look for a full transfiguration of our innermost being. The transfiguration of Jesus is a prophecy of what's coming to you. Daniel 12.3, a glistening company of saints will arise on the earth. They will not wait for the dawn. They will bring it. They will carry it. Carriers of the glory, dispensers of the divine, an upgraded version of believers coming. We think we know, and we know so little. We think we believe, but we don't have the faith of Jesus, which is mentioned in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans, that we must not only have faith in Him, but the faith of Him. The faith of Jesus that created the world is coming to a church near you. The Word of God, it says is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than what? Hashtag wrong translation. It's not two-edged sword. It's two-mouthed sword. A sword of two mouths. A sword of two mouths is coming. When the word of God from his mouth comes through your mouth, that's the sword of two mouths. Somebody will get it. Translations have the ability to unlock revelation of the text. And if you have translators that haven't been taken to heaven, haven't had trances or angels visit them and don't even believe those things and put woman, women down for a thousand plus years, no wonder we're going to have cranky translators with translations like in John 15 where it says, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he will take away. That is one of the poorest translations. Uh, it really, I challenge any Greek scholar and they know what I'm talking about because they've read it in the Greek. It doesn't mean take away. It means lift up. Uh, Eight to one, that verse, it can be translated take away, but eight times to one, it's translated lift up. Let's say it right. Every branch in me. Everybody say in me. That's a believer. Every believer in me that doesn't bear fruit. Don't worry. I'm going to lift them up and get light and nourishment and strength, and I'm going to personally take on their need to help them stand and rise again and bear fruit for me. I'm not going to eliminate every branch that doesn't bear fruit. I will have no vines. (laughs) Yes, he will discard the branches a few verses later that are dead because they're not in him and put them in the fire. But if you're not careful, translators have mixed those two concepts and... I mean, I could go on and on of places where I found where cranky translators, obviously, you know, like he brought me to the banqueting table. That's not it. That's not what it says. Where does that come from? I don't know if it was a Baptist theologian that did it, but it, it's the house of wine. He brought me to the wine cellar. He brought me to the house of wine. There's no table or banquet in there. It's a house of wine. Well... Deal with it. It's the wine of His Spirit, of course. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The effervescent wine of His love, the wine of His Spirit. You know, He brought me into the wine cellar. This is the engagement party of the bride. This is where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are bubbling up. This is where everybody's full of the charismas of of heaven. Oh, the gifts flourishing. (laughs) Oh, my Oh, that's a happy place. Take me to that happy place. Yeah, the house of wine. That's the house of God. The wine of his love, the wine of his truth. Uh, This one will blow you away. You may never want me back. (laughs) Revelation 1, Jesus comes, and and it says that he uh, he has white garment, but it says over his heart is a golden sash. A golden banner. It's like a love over his heart. But it doesn't really say heart. It's his chest. It says over his chest. But it doesn't even say chest. It uses the Greek word mastos, which is only exclusive woman's breasts. So over his woman's breasts is a golden banner of love. Will that make your head tilt or what? So every translator says, John blew it. John, uh, uh, typo, you know, get the white out, you know. Uh, There's a typo going on here. So they change it to his chest or his heart. But it's a woman's breast. So Jesus has a woman's breast. Now you're going to leave here and say, we had this false teacher. He came to our church, and he taught us that Jesus has a woman's breast. You go read it yourself, friend. You come back and tell me. It's mastos. It's very clear. What is that a picture of? It's a picture not literal, just like his white hair was not literal. And the robe, perhaps, is not literal. It's a picture of nurturing love, a mother's love, a woman's heart, a woman's love, that he carries a heart that so many of the women of God carry for him. You guys okay? Please smile so you (sighs) I mean, I'm the one, you know, risking everything up here. I don't know how much you want to know. But some of this, you know, dangerous stuff. I'm like pulling the pin on a hand grenade and throwing it under your chair, like. So there, there's just all kinds of secrets in the text that if you, if if you're just gonna fall in line, you know, scholars and theologians love to quote scholars and theologians. How about scholars and theologians that quote the Holy Spirit, or well, the Spirit of the Lord, and divine encounters showed me, you know. <laughs> So revelation is coming. The spirit of revelation is coming to a church near you. Pastors are soon going to be equipping and teaching us out of divine levels of revelation that that mystify us. And we're going to soon leave church meetings saying, I have no clue what just happened, but I like it. I know God is in this, but I don't understand it. When I hear that, I I think to myself, thank you, Lord. Because Jesus taught not to make people understand. He actually taught to blind the eyes that think they see. He did. He had the ministry of blinding eyes, not only opening them. Because there are pearls that only yield to the heart and the treasures of God. that that are passionate for Him, that are lovers of Him. You know, you're not going to the New Jerusalem. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. If you read it carefully, please do. Test everything I'm saying. It doesn't say anywhere that we're going to the New Jerusalem. But it says a couple of places. One is we already have come, Hebrews 12. And another is that it's coming down from heaven to here. It's not us going there. We got it backwards. You know, I want to be left behind stuff. It's coming here, and it looks like a city that looks like a what? Bride. A city that looks like a bride. It's the bride of Christ. It is a city that is a bride, the bridal city. Abraham looked for a city whose architect was God and a bride for his son. In the church, we are both the city and the bride. Jesus said, you are a city set on a hill. So the revelation of, of God has been veiled from the hearts of so many. 2 Corinthians 3 says that uh, the veil is law-keeping. The veil is guilt. The veil is shame. And the veil is Uh, this unworthy stuff. But when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Do you remember reading that? Okay, and who's the Lord? You should read it. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is that Lord. So not every place in the Bible where you see Lord is it Jesus. Jesus is not the Lord of the harvest. The Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. He's the one that equips, that sends out, puts people in the body, gives them gifts, and and orchestrates the harvest. No one would come to God except the Spirit bring him. So the Lord of the harvest is the Holy Spirit. So we say Holy Spirit, ekbalo, workers. The word ekbalo is the same word Jesus used for driving out demons. So I say drive out people from this church into the harvest field. Cast them out. I cast you out of here in the name of Jesus. That's the same word he used for driving out demons. Isn't that interesting? See, you don't get that in most translations. So the same authority we use to, you know, cast out devils, Jesus says, now, ask the Holy Spirit to cast out Christians into the world, the marketplace, seven mountains. Do the work of the kingdom. Some of us, man, we're, we're so locked into our plateau. We've parked there. We've built our tabernacle there. We don't have a clue of what's out here yet to come, how we're going to impact and change the world. So, this sod level is where I want to go. I want to take you there, and I'm going to leave you there. Is that okay? On a Saturday, we go deep. We leave the kiddie pool. Leave your water wings, and we drive out into the deepest place. Let me finish with this. We'll take a short break. It's time to get over your head. The church, the Western church insists on analyzing and testing everything with their mind. That's such a poor barometer. If you can think it, it's probably not God because my thoughts are not your thoughts. It, you know, God's ways are so infinitely higher, and to think we've unraveled the ways and secrets of God, we're, we're but kindergartners at best, pretending to be PhDs. Where was Jesus crucified? The place of the skull. Until the cross pierces yours, revelation cannot enter. The place of the skull is where Christ was crucified. And he's crucified almost again when we insist that our skull be the determination of whether it's truth or not. You may not know this, but the word Goliath and Golgotha come from the same Aramaic root. Where did David hit Goliath? Is that where the mark of the beast goes? Somebody will get this. You'll start to figure all this out if the Spirit is Lord. Oh, by the way, it isn't where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's is liberty. You know that verse we all quote? What if that's a mistranslation? Because the Spirit of the Lord is everywhere, but there's not liberty everywhere. It's where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. It's where the Spirit is Lord, not the bulletin, not the elders, the pastoral team not how we always do it, headquarters, where the Spirit is Lord. So Goliath got hit where? The place of the skull. And then what did David do? Cut off his toes? Cut off his head. It was a principality of the mind of man. It's believed that David, and it says in the Scripture, David actually took the skull of Goliath back to Jerusalem and buried it, but he wouldn't have buried it in the city. That's unclean. He put it at the place of the skull. The heavenly David, the son of David, conquered the mind of man at Golgotha. The cross is the foolishness of God, but it's so much wiser than man. And the revelation of God will make every one of us fools as we come with bated breath, longing, longing to learn, to absorb, like Moses, the fire in front of a bush, like David in front of an unveiled ark, like John on a forgotten island. We come and we say, God, show me your glory. Teach me your ways. And the world is going to have the witness Of spirit-filled believers whose minds have been renewed, transformed, and they're carrying like Mary the Christ of glory. Their words and their deeds become one. That's what the word integrity means. And they live in the light of the love of God, and they dispense revelation. It drips off their feet because they're walking in butter. (laughs) There's a verse in Psalms that says, I I, I, I walk in the t- paths of your chariot wheels, in the tracks of your chariot wheels, dripping with oil. That's where I walk. Ha! Ah, oh, the chariot of Ezekiel 1, the chariot of God. The wheel inside of a wheel is Christ in you. Take a short break and come back, and we'll go into the Song of Songs.